Hello, my pop culture junkies. Today is a day. This is Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. Guys, this is a day. We are in the thick of it. Just, I think a little over an hour ago, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard verdict came out. We're going to talk about that. We are starting the conversation with Mormon mom TikTok. This is something I tried to get into in the newsletter this week. It, we have an expert here who's going to tell us all about it. We're also going to talk to her about Johnny and Amber and what this verdict means all of the negative shit that's going to come out of it. And then we're going to wrap up with an unexpected interview that popped today with Liam Payne of One Direction and Logan Paul will tell you all about it. But guys, I am so delighted. I talked about it in my newsletter. I did not tell you who it was going to be, but we have an incredible guest. Honestly, I can't even believe she's doing it. We have the one and only technology columnist from the Washington Post, Taylor Lawrence. Hi, Taylor. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my God, I can't believe it. I am so excited. I mean, literally anybody who's listening to this podcast will know who you are, but there really, I mean, there is not anything that the, it, when I, when something pops, when something happens, internet, culture, TikTok, viral moment, trends, a new company in that sort of social and it, space, anything, it's good. Taylor is going to be at the center of it. You're going to have a, a story about it. You're going to have an opinion on it. You're going to have a TikTok about it. Like you are at the cultural zeitgeist for which I am a huge devotee of, and that's pop culture, internet trends, sort of intersection of culture and the internet. Is that sort of sum up where you sort of look at things with your lens? Yeah. I love media, tech, pop culture, all of it. And your career has been an incredible one that I have been able to follow. And from the early days, and you've had such a, I mean, the range covering politics and being in D.C. to then being at The New York Times and breaking these big stories and then moving over to The Washington Post, where you seem to have even like a bigger platform because you can do all these things. And you yourself have been the subject of so much of sort of news and and one of the famous favorite whipping boys, I guess, if you will, of a Tucker Carlson and the crazy Fox people. Yeah, the right wing media definitely loves to come after me. But why I do you think that is? Is it because you are I mean, not just because you're talented, not because you're <laughs> is it because you're a woman? Is it because you have you dare to have a voice? What is oh, it? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of misogyny wrapped in, but also because I break big stories that expose online influence and how it works. And, you know, if I wasn't breaking the amount of news that I break, they wouldn't care about me. You know, there are other people that write about similar stuff to me that don't do those big stories and aren't as high profile. So, but yeah, I mean, it's disgusting misogyny, just like their obsession with me and how I look and my age and all of it. Like, it's it's just like deeply sexist and creepy. And, and then fake news. I mean, you're at the yeah. core of it. You've seen them literally. You've seen the conspiracy theories firsthand. You've seen literal like fake stories about you that have been completely concocted that then people believe. And you've been sort of thrown into that ring of like Hillary Clinton eats baby kind of <laughs> like, you know, moments. It's wild to me. Well, I mean, I think what I'm experiencing is something that everyone will eventually experience if they spend a lot, enough time on the Internet, um, meaning like women or anybody that calls out sort of far right 
internet bullshit. I think, yeah, it, I mean, definitely what's been disappointing is just to see how the mainstream media is so woefully underprepared to operate in, in this new media climate. Like, you know, my whole beat is about how media is becoming more distributed. I write about content creators. I write about like the internet and these platforms and these legacy news publications just are just so fundamentally unprepared. The post is pretty good, but there's just a long way to go across the industry. They don't understand how to cover these things. They literally just buy into bad faith campaigns constantly. And so part of what I do is call that out and try and explain to people how the media works. It, it's, it's funny because I think I would agree with a lot of my biggest critics that the media is fundamentally broken and corporate media has huge problems, but you know, I, I think there's a way to fix it. And I think we both, you know, a lot of those people like Tucker and stuff hate the mainstream media because they don't want criticism. I think that the mainstream media is just broken because it's, they're just left behind. A lot of them are still operating like it's the 1990s and they don't well, understand. Well, very much like the, I mean, listen, I'm a liberal Democrat, yeah. <laughs> uh, but very much like the Democratic Party in general, right? Yes. I mean, I feel like there's so many parallels to that. Like I look at the Democrats and I'm like, guys, like you could not fucking organize a two car funeral. What is happening here? This is like, we have all of the data. We have all like, you know, the fact that Obama won despite the Democratic Party because of Obama and because of his sort of, you know, drive and what they were doing in terms of his understanding of that, not not because of the party. Right. And so they didn't learn anything. They didn't take anything. From not this. only that, but there seems to be. And I think this is across so many legacy institutions. And obviously, the Democratic Party is, is part of that, too. It's just it's a dismissal of young people, of working class people, of marginalized communities like these are readers or consumers or voters that these legacy institutions have just disrespected for so long and refused to listen to. And now with the shift of the Internet, you know, these people have a voice and you can't yep. get away with that. And so I think that's a really powerful thing. And I think journalistic institutions are really important. So I've always sort of chosen to work for the legacy media companies because I'm I want to fix them. I don't want to just see that whole industry go away because it is so important for accountability and all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think you're such a great breath of fresh air for that. And I, and it's amazing to see. I mean, despite the all the criticisms, the New York Times and the Washington Post both have grown at a time when people believed media was dying. I, I want to just talk about something before we get into Mormon mom talk, which is everything. <laughs> yeah. Two things about media I want to talk about. One, I find it so interesting that you and others refer, like, I mean, Tucker refers to mainstream mainstream media. I mean, wouldn't Tucker now with Fox, aren't they considered mainstream media? I mean, they may not be left media. No, I'd consider them part of the right wing media apparatus. Um, and that doesn't become part of mainstream. I mean, that's, I guess, the hardest. To I use mainstream as as shorthand for legitimate journalistic institutions. That <laughs> OK, good. OK, I like it. That is interesting. Right. By definition, he's not an actual. He's not a journalist mm, at all. Right, he's at a all. right wing commentator and you know, and I think it's really important to be explicit about that and also talk about the fact that the right wing media is not bound by journalistic ethics in any way. You know, they don't follow the same ethical principles that the mainstream media still adheres to. And obviously there's huge problems with the mainstream media, too. But fundamentally, you know. Right. 
And and while they will they will say they are not media, they are just a platform. So much of this has come down to Facebook in many ways and certainly mm-hmm. disseminating this news and information and whatnot. And today, another piece of breaking news, interestingly, uh, we'll get into that just because of the timing of the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp thing from a comms perspective is that Sheryl Sandberg, uh, who's been the COO for the last, I think, 14 years of Facebook and a controversial one at that comes from Democratic politics, right, came from the Obama administration and whatnot, or I think, or Clinton rather. Do you have any thinking of how Facebook might change with new direction with this new COO? I don't know. I saw a lot of people saying just that it was expected. And I had heard that as well from people within Facebook that I just texted like, oh my God, the news or whatever. And they're like, well, you know, everyone that's paid attention kind of knew it was coming. Yeah. I I think it just, you know, Facebook is such at an interesting point because they're flailing, right? Like the main app is dying. TikTok is so ascendant. I think that they're, they're at a very pivotal point themselves. And so I, but I don't know what sort of turn it'll take. I, uh, once again, I don't think that they've learned any major lessons uh, from any of the stuff that they've been through in the past 10 years either. So Yeah. You know, I remember the Hillary Clinton campaign and there was some people that I spoke to and it was, you know, early days. And my suggestion was like, you know, I just think that it's like the coastal elites, like, you know, you've got California and New York, that my entire Facebook and Instagram feeds are filled with these very rich, fancy Silicon Valley and New York media execs posing selfies of themselves with Hillary on a campaign. Like, you know, you've got this, like this doesn't see, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to get, move the needle. And they're like, have you ever worked on a campaign? Like, you know, simmer down little one. I was like, uh, no, but I have instincts and I know what worked maybe 10 years ago isn't going to work today. And you need to be a different sort of way about you. And they didn't listen. And here we are at the end of democracy. it's It's about being in touch with culture. And it just goes back to like the groups that you ignore. If you continually ignore you know marginalized people like you know working class people like people that this that is the majority of america you know and those are important like and she didn't go to michigan i mean you have flint michigan is in still a water crisis she didn't step foot in there during her entire campaign and i know there's this idea of the coastal elite which i clearly fall into being in new york or la but the fact is like and i know there are lots of established journalists that i love and respect and dear friends with who are like well the fact of the matter is that's where the the money is that's where the power is blah 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 but no i'm sorry you more and more people have voices that are and are able to have real impact are in Michigan are in different parts of the country that have been historically ignored that can't and that's be anymore. where the cultural power is that's the thing like it, the cultural power is not in downtown New York anymore I'm sorry it's not the 90s like this is the internet I love everything those 90s has, I mean it's just been and I'm a New Yorker when I say that I'm you know <laughs> but you know the internet has made it so that you can have cultural relevance like all across the country and I think that I don't know, I covered that 2016 election and it was just really wild to see this like massive movement in the on, on the right kind of just take over the internet and just like bomb through and, and dominate every platform and just have kind of no challenge from the left. And, and that remains the case. And today. it remains the case. And even yeah. when I talk to these sort of powerful voices in media, they are adamant. They don't see culture and they just, it's going to, it's going to bite everyone in the ass. It's going to bite everyone. Them. They don't realize it until they're too late. I mean, it's like, look at cable news completely dying and irrelevant. Like it's just, 
you know, Tucker has made himself still relevant in cable news, partially because of his internet presence and like the way he goes viral online. And being a troll. Yeah. And and I hope that's not the answer though. What I don't want is like, I think that's what everyone's searching for is like those media. It's like, well, our answer to get that is not to meet it apples to apples. So we too become trolls on the other side. I I don't know. No, but but it's powerful. Look at someone like Hassan Piker. Like look at these leftists, like big creators that are blowing up. I have a story coming out on Keffels, who's the biggest trans Twitch streamer that just exploded in popularity in the past few months. Content creators are taking up those spaces that the mainstream media like has stopped talking to. Like they're speaking to this next generation of people because the mainstream media has largely ignored those people. And right. so I think those people are turning to content creators and yeah. that's disappointing. I mean, what I find is that the mainstream media are really good when it comes to these crises, right? Like when there yeah. is a horrible school shooting and they're on the ground and they're giving it, it's like how CNN started, which is like the yeah. kid in the well, right? That fell down the well, 24 hours, news cycles of, of that kind of thing. But when it comes to understanding the cultural zeitgeist of the moment and the real <laughs> finger on the pulse of what people are thinking and doing and trends that are changing their minds and their mindsets they are completely missing it no they're Um, too busy writing about their like 10 friends in new york and like everyone like they'll they'll, you know they'll write about the most irrelevant things it's crazy well speaking about um (laughs) non-coastal elites maybe anyway utah i want to talk about (laughs) utah the the crucial issues of our time which Uh, is more mormon swinging yeah (laughs) i mean okay so just i'll give you the quick my sort of and by the way the there is evidence there is there's there's no proof that these women we're talking about are actually Mormon. I don't think, or at least the one that the main one where we have sort of talked about, but I don't know if they've ever actually said they're Mormon. There's assumptions. Taylor, Frankie, Paul. Yeah. Is she, does she out there? I'm pretty sure she's Mormon. I, I I think they are Mormon, but I don't know if she's ever actually come out, but she's certainly done more damage to the Mormon church. And part of my thinking, I like thinking about it yesterday Sorry if you hear that truck in the background. What I was thinking yesterday was that maybe this is a mass conspiracy theory of the Mormon church to showcase what happens when you when you when you turn your back on God, on Jesus Christ and and, and the Latter-day Saints because this is drama. So a quick synopsis there there is a I'll get let Taylor tell you guys more but it started percolating. I started seeing it on TikTok, but it hit the mainstream. A lot of my friends who would never notice this stuff started hearing about it and asking me about it. And it was more, I got more user, user reader and uh, subscriber feedback on this than I have on any topic at all since I've started writing Pop Culture Mondays in two and a half years. So that's wild. And what it is, is you have this, this sort of friend group and they're all couples and it's usually these really beautiful women who have their hair and makeup done and they're usually in like athleisure wear and they're always doing funny videos on TikTok and mom stuff and they all have high ponies and lots of eyelashes and their fancy French manicures and their mom it was considered mom talk and there's the queen bee of them and she would take her uh, audience on a journey where they sometimes were taking you know sort of having fun making jokes jokes like her nanny was actually her sister wife like all this weird stuff. You couldn't really tell what was serious, what wasn't. And then all of a sudden she announced in one of her TikToks to an empty house that she and her husband, who was very vocal in her 
socials were divorcing and she was going to be living on her own for the first time. She's 28 with two kids and getting a new house. A lot of the audience, her, her, uh, followers felt that this might've been a joke that they're actually moving into a new house and she was just doing a gotcha. But then it came out in a Instagram live that she did. That was like 38 minutes where she's telling people that the reason that she's getting a divorce is because she was basically unfaithful that the couple friends were swinging. They were all hooking up with each other, learned a new term called soft swinging, which means they all hook up with each other, but they don't actually have sex or penetration. I guess this is like a Bill Clinton sort of discussion, Um, but there is no penetration and they always had to be involved. Like one of, they had to be watching or involved. They couldn't just splinter off into a couple group. She did that though, because she said she was partying really hard. And so was the other guy. And they basically went into the other room and banged or something thing along those lines and everything is blown up and she's ripped the sort of veil off of all of the scandals of moms in Utah in the Mormon church. Is that sort of summarize it? What am I missing? Why are people fascinated by it? Yeah, no, that summarizes it. I think people are fascinated by it though, because they love to, I mean, it honestly, I'm going to do a little bit of a hot take, which is I do think it's partially misogyny. Like there's Love this, this recipe, hot take. Give it. Well, there's there's this recipe for viral stories online. And I remember I, I posted in Slack about this, like right when this was breaking. And I'm like, oh, this is just a traffic driver. Anytime you have look at this beautiful woman who seems like she has it all. Her life is actually a shit show. Let's destroy it and tear it down. Like people have this like insatiable desire to to kind of participate and like, what is the word? Like Schadenfreude or Schadenfreude, yeah. Well, I mean, and that goes the same with the female CEOs. The New York Times did yet another story this weekend. There was Emily Weiss, who's the founder and former CEO of Glossier Makeup. And there is, you know, just another story about the sort of, the that would never be written about a male CEO, the same sort of like- The framing was insane. I thought that was a parody tweet. I thought it was a parody story. And I, and I, my tweet was like, not only should the story not have been written, it shouldn't have never seen the light of day. It should never like, even if they wrote it, like an editor should have been like, what are we doing here, guys? What is it? And it just seems like, and it was by a female and it's like, yet again, here we are. The story didn't say anything. We're in that classic trope of a woman is a bitch, but a man, when they do the same exact thing, they are a leader and they are strong. And it's just, here we are. And it must fall into the same vein is that the more yeah I think it's a hundred percent it's like this desire to and and look this is not to excuse any female CEOs like I don't know all the girl boss CEOs but I think like the Emily Weiss thing was just wild because that's it's undeniably a she ran and founded this incredibly successful business but I think it's it's also about aesthetics it's like it, it's like this beautiful woman who has it all how can we destroy her? And people love that. Like people love those stories. I think the entrepreneur ones have gotten a lot of pushback, but with the influencer world, it's constant. I mean, Buzzfeed was running a ton of them for a while, a couple of years ago. And you know what it is, Brooke? It's so much, it's Reddit energy. It's, Mm. it's the Gomi energy. Tell us more about that. What does that mean? Well, um, so get off my internet. It was this like blog or um, this forum that was just like would viciously tear down, you know, style bloggers, lifestyle influencers, women. Um, there's tons and tons of these snark reddits online. That's they're partially what made this story blow up. I mean, they played a huge role in it. And what these stories or what those subreddits do is they're just sort of like 
I mean, some of it's all in good fun. It's gossip. Um, so I'm not going to say everyone in the snark forums is terrible. Like a lot of them are just there for gossip on specific influencers. But a lot of them can get really, really cruel. And the, the goal is to kind of trash these people. It's like, let what tea can we dig up? How can we kind of take these women down? And generally and I, the, behind anonymity, right? This it's is all, of course, it's anonymous Redditors. It's anonymous Redditors. And you see these people go after, I mean, Ariel Charnas has been a big focus of, of them before. Early on in the p- pandemic, you know, so many of these women were just being scrutinized to the, to the zillionth degree. Like, you are not wearing a mask outside or you, you fled the city. Um, there was, but, Is that um, like the woman who ran off to the Hamptons and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and look, some of the their behavior is not great. These are influencers, right? They're living chaotic lives and they're making mistakes and we should definitely scrutinize influencers. That's like a core thing of my beat. But I think so much of the scrutiny centers around their personal lives or their parenting decisions or who they're dating. Or, or their looks, their weight. Their looks. Or Tinks' breakup or, you know, it's like things like that. Like things can just get really vicious and once there's a crack, you know, once once these women show vulnerability, the floodgates open. Right. And we're all living for drama. You know, it's the Internet. So everyone hops on. I think like some of these takedowns are kind of like led by a small vocal group online. But, you know, it's gossip. So but I will say, know. you know, what's so interesting is that I, I guess I was a late bloomer for my for the fact that I write about pop culture. I was a late bloomer to TikTok, but it sort of mirrored the timing that TikTok started to move away from just the dances and the yeah. sort of viral dances into like, you know, more cultural moments. But it seems now more than any other social platform that had trends pop up, even if it was Vines or whatnot. That mainstream media, mainstream people, like whether they're in their 50s or their 20s or their 70s are picking up on these trends. So when I start getting asked about mom TikTok and Utah moms and swingers from my friend who's a third grade teacher in Minnesota or my you know sister-in-law in New Jersey, this is wild. This means it's like, and that happened within days and they didn't well, even know because, they existed. But this is the same, right. But I just think this is the same thing that we saw with tons of YouTubers and we've seen with Facebook mom groups and we saw with all the lifestyle influencers on Instagram. Like people are fascinated by beautiful women and especially when there's some sort of drama or scandal associated with the woman. Like, wow, this woman, especially with Mormonism, because we all know it's kind of a a lot of this stuff, they present this perfect family and it's a farce, right? And so that's intriguing. And by the way, I'm not saying that everyone that participates in this stuff is like misogynist at all. I love the gossip. I'm totally reading all of it. No, we're just looking at a a specific Yeah, the root of of some of it is, Mm -hmm. is, I think some of it taps into those sections of the internet. Well, what I'm trying to say is that I think that, you know, we're riveted by there's religion in it. Right. And the whole idea of being a Mormon is like you are supposed to wear the special underwear and you can't drink caffeine, certainly not alcohol, no sugar. And yet you're supposed to have lots of like wives, but the women can't have lots of husbands. So I, you know, it's misogyny at its core as all religions really are. And then you have this like woman sort of, you know, whether it's true or not seemingly true because others have backed it up that they're all hooking up with each other and getting blitzed out and like their kids are in the other rooms like it's you know it's a perfect story it's oh yeah it has parenting religion sex influencers like beautiful women like it's yeah it's it's got it all it's the perfect story 
It's just a story made for traffic. Well, the, uh, to close on that one, <laughs> I did put in the newsletter, but I did not know this, that the upside down pineapple image. So if you have a bathing suit, by the way, that has little uh, pineapples and any of them are upside down, you might want to get a new bathing suit. It is apparently the symbol to indicate that you're into swinging. So if you start, if you're, you know, on Raya or Hinge and you're looking at a guy and you see they have a little upside down pineapple that's not like oh I'm into rum cocktails it means that they're into swinging and you can and if that's your thing all the power to you I if, will say oh sorry yeah but if it's not your thing then you now have a, a you know a, a guideline to what it is what were you gonna say I was just gonna say I actually wrote a story on this a couple years ago that the pineapple is a symbol for IVF which it is also is it's also a big symbol in the IVF community. Wait a minute. Can I be it's, a swinging IVF fan? And like, is it the upside down pineapple or the right yeah, side? Yeah, it's the regular pineapple, but there's all this confusion about that. And I actually interviewed a lot of swingers and they were like, that's a misconception. We don't associate with the pineapple anymore because it's also a symbol from hospital. It's also the symbol for hospitality. So yeah, it was a symbol for hospitality, which I've always known. I gave like, yeah. there's amazing pineapple, like, like things that you give people that you can put yeah. drinks in with the straw, you know, it's such a great gift. Um, and I was like, did all those people think I'm a fucking swinger? Oh my God. Well, good. I hope we move away from the pineapple imagery and swinging. I, feel- I think if it's in a Tinder though, you know, that's a different story. Yeah. If it's in your dating. Yeah. That's probably right. It's, they're not saying I'm a good host for a cheese and wine night. (laughs) All right. Okay. So the big news of the day, and I want to give, I, you said you had a hot take at the top of this. I, I have been writing and tweeting a lot about it. I will say this. I have no skin in the game, except that I did see very early on this social response happening very clearly for Johnny Depp and called that out early. Whereas we didn't have this when they had their trial, however long ago it was in the UK, which nobody won, but certainly Amber, I guess, came out ahead on. She, she did, you know, this, it did not come out in Johnny's favor and none of this social sort of outrage. And maybe it's because it wasn't televised, but I will say it's televised. It was being televised because Johnny Depp's team insisted on it. We know why his legal team was whatever the nicest, most expensive, craziest, best. Like it was like the Swiss watch of, of legal teams. And she had like the swatch watch of legal teams. Now I'm sure they're incredible, incredible. I guess they're both Swiss, but they're incredible lawyers, but just did not compare to the gravitas of, of Johnny's team. Not to mention Johnny had a female lawyer that was TikTok gold that probably has inspired a bunch of girls who now want to become litigators and maybe that's good news. But nevertheless, it was a court of public opinion. They won in that for sure. I'm sure Johnny's team also had unbelievable people behind the scenes doing dark arts on socials and getting shit out there and getting trending topics. But they had those bite size, as you've talked about, you know, moments that were perfect for TikTok, like literally made like his, his commentary, the, I guess, interactions with the lawyers at the table and Johnny, all of those were made for social media. We now have a a verdict and that verdict seems to now be a symbol of right versus left, men versus women. The Me Too era, is that coming to an end and what people are saying? And in general, along with everything else, it seems to be bad for society is my my impression because you have right wing taking this as if as if this is a win for them. As against Amber Heard, 
we, the jury, award compensatory damages in the amount of $10 million. As against Amber Heard, we, the jury, award punitive damages in the amount of $5 million. Do you find that Ms. Heard has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, no. As against John C. Depp II, we, the jury, award compensatory damages in the amount of $2 million. As against John C. Depp II, we, the jury, award punitive damages in the amount of $0. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think the right-wing media has absolutely, you know, used it as this kind of indictment of Me Too. I think the people online that are saying that you can't extract larger lessons from this trial, I, that's the most moronic thing I've ever heard. Um, this There hasn't been a trial really since OJ, I think, that's captivated everyone in this way and kind of that everyone has tuned into. Obviously, we're watching it all through the internet as opposed to television. Um, but the difference with OJ is that it was a race issue at the end of the day. It was. Mm -hmm. And you had, you know, different communities rooting for each side, right? Whereas this, I don't know, up until now, now that the verdict is out there, all these voices like this is a disaster for the women's movement. But what this a shame. Is, it's not it's not the women's movement. I think it's 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 abuse survivors. Right. And I do think there have been pretty clear lines. Like I do think like large feminists on the Internet and like everyone that's kind of like really stood behind me, too, and also just like has thoughts on domestic violence or has experienced domestic violence like they've landed on one side. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's not to say that all women believe one side. Definitely not like. But just the same way with the race issue of OJ, you know, I, I think it was a little bit different. Obviously, race was the issue in the OJ trial and misogyny and assaults are the issues in this trial. But we're clearly backsliding in terms of, I think, um, the media narratives around these things. Yeah. To hero just, worship. I mean, listen, I found myself. Yeah. I became part of that. I was watching it more and more. And I'm like, wow, you know, Johnny, ha if it, it, he has been sidelined. And I know, listen, I mean, full disclosure, I know I have lots of personal connections and stories around Amber that I already came in predisposed to sort of have my opinions on her. But and she was not the perfect sort of voice in this. I understand. But we have evidence of Johnny being emotionally abusive. We have evidence of Johnny saying like to, to his friend, like after doing a bunch of blow, like let's burn her and I'll fuck her dead corpse. I mean, not a gentleman. It does that make. And yet we've turned him into this folk hero of sorts. And he'll probably go on to have a career and get a movie. It's, if that's not done by the end of this day, I'll be surprised. And whereas Amber will probably never, I can't imagine work again in the career she just chose. Yeah. And just look at the careers of a lot of women that spoke out during Me Too. I think a lot of them have struggled to find work. Hollywood is still a very powerful machine. Um, and she's going up against a lot, you know. Um, I mean, I think this is also has interesting implications for media. I mean, this is at the core of it, a defamation case. Um, it was, you know, pursued in Virginia, which does not have anti-slap laws. Like, it's, it's going to definitely have an impact on the media and the way that the media covers these things as well, or that the way op-eds are sourced and kind of what people feel comfortable saying. It, to see the right-wing media celebrate this is just very, is very interesting because they're sort of, they, they always claim obviously to be the party of free speech. And of course, time and time again, they seem to be against it. And, and so it's just, I just think from that defamation standpoint, it's interesting since that's ultimately what the trial was about. Yeah. And I mean, just to give you guys an example, this this is all sort of terrible. But the House Judiciary GOP, I guess, is what it is. The at Judiciary GOP. It's got the blue check. It's got how many followers? 218,000 followers on 
its official Twitter for the House Committee on the Judiciary, ranking member Jim Jordan, they tweeted they have now 5,500 likes, 1,200 retweets. They simply tweeted a glorious gif of Johnny as Captain Jack Sparrow in sort of what looks like a winner. I don't know how you explain it, but he looks like defiant as the captain of his ship with the wind blowing and his pirate getup with no context, which is just like, are you fucking kidding me? This is what's like, we have like children being killed in schools and we have people being murdered, uh, you know, uh, left and right. We have women losing their rights, their bodies. And this is what they fucking tweet. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah. I mean, it's what they tweet because it's, they're trying to leverage this verdict for, yeah, their own sort of political. They are leveraging culture. Exactly. They are leveraging. They know what the moment is. And while it's infuriating, that is probably the right strategy is what you're basically it saying. Is, it is the right strategy because you're tapping into this cultural thing and you're leveraging it to push your own narrative. Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, I could sit here and talk all day. We've got a few more minutes and I do want to get into it because I have a personal, another, you know me, it's like, how can roads go back to Brooke, right, Taylor? That's what I always <laughs> like, you know, what is it about? But so if you guys aren't One Direction fans, that's okay. You are Harry Styles fans. We all know that. We're established. We are Harry stands. He has done literally the greatest job from a PR marketing standpoint in terms of this album release of Harry's house. I've never seen anything like it. I am here for it, but there are other members of the band that were formed from the whole, what is it like? I don't remember the X factor or whatever it was show Simon Cowell, all of that. One of them is Liam Payne. He's always had a bit of a I don't know. He's not my favorite. He's the one that was married to Cheryl. What's her name? And who is the judge on Britain's Got Talent or whatever the yeah. show is on? Who's when he was a child, Cheryl Cole. Cheryl Cole. And she was the judge and he was 14 and she was like 24 or 25. And then 10 years later, they announce their relationship and then they have a child and then that relationship ends. And then he has like a very young fiance and just recently was in the news for getting like cheating on his fiance and getting busted in social media and now flaunting his new relationship. And he inexplicably, it came out today, did a podcast with one, another loathsome character, Logan Paul, who is also part of that sort of, you know, illegitimate media source and right wing crypto, all that stuff. I don't, I wouldn't call Logan Paul right wing. You wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. You tell me, explain Logan Paul because I can't. Yeah, I mean, Logan Paul spoke out really aggressively for Black Lives Matter. He famously did this big talk. I think he's mellowed out a lot. Oh, I that's think good. Jake, Jake Paul is the one you're thinking. Like, Jake Paul is is right wing. Um, oh, and, they're and brothers. Trump. I totally, they're brothers. right. They, they totally turn into one another for me. They, they're both blonde and look extremely Who's similar. the boxer? That's Jake. Oh, yeah, I don't like that one. Yeah, he's he's more like definitely more like red pilled. Logan Paul is really famous for filming a dead body in, in Japan's suicide forest back in. Oh, right. Right. I remember that. Right. And he apologized for it. Now, he has this podcast. He is completely crypto pilled. You're right. As you know, many big influencers are. But I wouldn't put him in the in the realm of the right wing media. But okay. he's definitely kind of like going to have idiots 
people on yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. But know, and bro out. And he's sort yeah. of would it be fair to say he's sort of mirroring his podcast and influence a little more toward Joe Rogan side 100%. of things? I was literally just gonna make the same comparison. Yes. I mean he wants to be like the YouTube Joe Rogan. Okay. And so he has Liam Payne on and Liam Payne, I don't know my analysis of this and we'll put the link to it in the in the show notes, but my analysis of this is like jealousy is a hell of a drug, man. A hell of a fucking drug. And maybe it's like done him in. He's literally lost his mind looking at what Harry has um, accomplished in the last few weeks. But one of the things that One Direction is, and my personal experience, we're not going to get in too much, but I I happened to get to know eight years ago, Zane Malik, not knowing who he was when I met him and got to hang out with him for a couple of days. And he was the loveliest young man. And he spoke so beautifully about his family. He spoke so beautifully. He was raised by women, his mom, his sisters, his aunties. He was struggling with fame. One of the things that sticks with me was he said, you know, I just, the fact that I can't leave my flat and just go pick up some milk when I need to make a cup of tea and I've run out of milk, but I can't because of the people that are outside my flat. Like he was struggling with it. He was so lovely, so polite, so considerate. I mean, there's just so many things about him that I could say. And Liam Payne has had, I guess, a struggle with him in the past. The band One Direction has, has manu- has, is, was manufactured to start, but has kept the sort of, you know, his huge fans and kept the idea that they were brothers sort of intact. And in one foul swoop, this kid comes out and just blows it all up, talks about how they hate each other. He blows up Zane, talks about how he doesn't like Zane, and then says Zane, though, you have to feel sorry for him because he comes from this terrible family background who didn't support him. And then he talks about how the reason One Direction existed is because Simon saw him and was like, he was the face that he built the team around and the band around. And then went on to say that his song was bigger than his first debut song was bigger than any of the other guys first debut songs, which is just categorically incorrect. And it's just, it was like, it was like a fascinating psychology of what was happening. So I just, it dominated the socials today before the verdict. (laughs) I loved the vulture headline that was Liam Payne determined to ruin his own career. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it feels like, right? He's just self-sabotaging. Part of the reason One Direction was made was because of Simon's promise to me that in two years I'll make this work for you. Wow. So he kind of started with my face and then worked around. How did they choose the rest of the, the group? I don't know how they chose the rest of them, but I mean, they made the right choices. Called my dad. I was like, this is weird. I know that I just told you I'm out, but they want to put me in a boy band. Like, what do you think about it? He said, well, you can either be 100% of nothing or one fifth of something. And I thought, hmm, very clever, Jeffrey. The only thing that I could think of is like, he's trying to distract from the cheating you know, allegations that came out. But apparently this interview, that's a very good point, but like it hadn't come out yet when he recorded it. So chaotic. It's just so bizarre. All he had to do, like, is just kind of keep his mouth shut and like people wouldn't even be thinking about him and he could just make money. And instead he just wanted to, yeah, I think it's ego and it's it's like uh-huh. he's so envious, like like yes. world domination doesn't even describe what Harry Styles is right now. Like if he can sustain yeah. it, great. But I mean, he just surpassed, you know, Taylor Swift in terms of of some sort of big number and streams and whatnot. So the world domination is at Harry's feet, if not already surpassed. And I think it might have just done like psychology. But for him to talk about, you know, make digs about Zane and yeah. his, you know, breakup 
up of his partnership and the fight with the former mother-in-law. I don't know. It's also ugly and, and so, um, dumb. It just makes him look bad. Yeah. I do think it's like, we're in a moment where despite all the negativity that's happening and we talked about it from Reddit and all of that, I do believe there is that moment where, and TikTok has helped it. I think others not, and some of it's hurt. I know TikTok's not perfect by any means. It's bananas. You've talked about that on your own TikTok. But I do think that there are people that are demanding like, wait, dude, we don't want to knock people down. Like that's so, that's so last year. We want to prop people up. We want to look at the good side. Like let's highlight some of the good positive stuff. And I feel like this is an example of it. Like there was no need for it. People don't want to hear it. People aren't looking for the salacious from him. They want to hear positive stuff. Yeah. Especially about like Harry Styles and One Direction. You can't like, why, why burst that bubble for what, to what gain? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I think he's, his days are numbered. It's all for Harry and the other guys are probably, like, I can only imagine that group chat. What, you know, like delete Liam Payne from, from the group signal. Immediately. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Taylor, I, 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 I cannot believe I could sit here and talk to you as I do though. I I'm, I'm very lucky and I sort of tap your brain as often as I possibly can, but we do have this little fun thing that people have come to love and that's make out marry or mute. We got rid of the murder thing. It's too controversial. We want people to be positive. So on that note, people, things, ideas, topics that you would make out with marry or mute. I'll take here. I'll give mine and then you you can think. Okay. So I, um, I'm going to make out with, because this is, I'm having a party this weekend. I'm very excited. And I'm having one of these like TikTok trend drinks that I'm bringing, or one of the things you wrote about. I think you wrote about it, but I'm bringing back into the adult atmosphere, the dirty Shirley. I'm very excited about this. I went to BevMo to buy all of the products for the dirty Shirley. I, it, which is basically the another Mormon mom talk thing that brought to it from my understanding, but it's a Shirley temple that's got vodka in it. And I'm very excited. So I'm going to make out with that. I would marry, I would probably marry, um, and I've, I'm, I'm now repeating myself, all of the other members of One Direction, except for Liam Payne, like all of them together. I would just marry the four other members of One Direction. And then I would mute the, I would definitely mute the crazy right wing whole take on what this is going to be with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. So those are my three. Okay, those are so good. I also want to marry, you know, every member of One Direction except Liam. Great, you um, can have the same. I'm, <laughs> we can we can have a Mormon wedding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Our brother husbands make out. I don't know. I'm trying to find like a song of the summer, and I wish I like had that a Lizzo song. song that's now overplayed. Right? I can't with the Balenciagas or whatever. Oh yeah, but that's I love Lizzo. Good. Right? That's like the yeah. song I mean, of I the love summer. Her. I think it's I think it's pretty good. Although nothing will ever top the best song of the summer, in my opinion, is still Tayo Cruz Dynamite. That like ten years ago, that will always wait. Be I don't remember summer. that one. What? Wait. I literally make everyone listen to it all summer. Every time I have a summer party, I'm like, this is wait. I don't, <laughs> Tayo I, Cruz Dynamite. Okay, do a little like, come on. <laughs> no, wait. Hold on. I don't Wait, hold on, Brooke. Are you kidding me? I I'm might gonna know it, this, but this weekend. I'm going to play it all the minute you walk into my house. It's going to be on like <laughs> Am- Alexa play. Wait, this song. Hold on. Remember this song? I, 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 I came
I that totally song? remember that song. Remember? Was that 10 years ago? Please don't tell me. Okay, yes. It was released 2010. Okay. It's 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 more than 10 years ago. I can't even. What is time? I don't even know. Okay, well that's a good makeout and so then the song of the 20s. Song, song of, of the summer 2010. And then what was that last one? Murder? No, we're saying mute now. Oh, mute. We're positive <laughs> okay. over here at PCMOT. Okay, I want to mute all of the media takes about downtown Manhattan like enough is enough my family's from there they've lived there since the 70s I don't need to hear about the same 30 people in downtown Manhattan it is the most it's become like a Disneyland for rich people and the stories and the coverage of that is just sort of like covering all these rich people and I'm like let's hear about like actual New Yorkers I'm sick of hearing about like the transplants that moved five years ago and are like reactionaries. Yeah. I don't think you know? what applies anymore. I used to say as a New Yorker, I used to say like, and now I, living in LA and New York, I think it's really, it, you. it's much easier being poor. It was much easier being poor in New York than poor in LA. In New York, you can walk around everywhere. You can get like, you know, dollar pizza. You meet There's people. More public services There's so many more public services. There's so much more sort of like you're just walking. But now it's less and less true. I mean, yes, you could walk around and get dollar pizza and all that but rents are becoming astronomical Manhattan especially has just gotten crazy and also just the notion that any kind of like transgressive ideologies are coming from Manhattan is a joke like it's just the same people that would have lived on 73rd and Lex 20 years ago have moved to the Lower East Side or whatever they've moved to Brooklyn that's just what's happened no I mean I well Brooklyn is yeah I just I don't know I have a lot of thoughts on New York and I think like spending a lot more time outside New York just like makes me see how it helps. We both left New York around the same time and came <laughs> to the same area of LA. So we, we could, we, we should start another podcast just about this, but um, this has been so much fun. We could literally, we ran long. I hope you don't mind. I know you are very busy. Taylor, I hope you do this again. I'm so in awe of you and just like, a, what a perfect day to have you as the guest. Like, Oh my God. Likewise. Stars what a crazy line. day. A, I'm, I'm scared to check, you know, Twitter again. I know. I, mean, I don't want to go back. I know. <laughs> I know. It's time to crack open the rosé. I think it's only the afternoon here, but I might have to. It's just a rosé kind of day. Exactly. Guys, thank you so much. Please um, share this podcast with all your friends. We want to make it huge. Listen to it on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And David, you're the most amazing producer. Thank you so much. And see you guys next week. Pop culture.